Hi everyone, it's Amadal Yakpo from Say Something, Say Something, and it's our birthday! Yay! Happy birthday! Yay! If you see something, you better, you better say something. Nothing at all, nothing at all. I mean, it's like not my birthday, it's the show's birthday. It came out in October of 2016, and a lot has happened since then. So for this episode, I'm going to bring in all my favorite big sister BuzzFeed types <laughs> to reflect, <laughs> celebrate, and uh, talk about, you know, life and stuff. So joining me right now are Bim Adewanmi. She's a senior culture writer at BuzzFeed and also the host of an upcoming podcast project. Woo! Am I allowed to reveal the name? I mean, why the hell not? No, no, you're not. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, in fact, a secret. Do not say that. Okay. Um, anyhow, she has a podcast that's coming out with Nicole Perkins, which is going to be amazing. Welcome, Bim. And I'm also joined by Nabiha Sayed, who is Assistant General Counsel at BuzzFeed, you know, and she does a lot of stuff on free speech and is a badass. Both these people are badasses who I admire so much Yay, and inspire my work. We love you. We love you. Oh, my God. We admire you, too. <laughs> this is wonderful. I'm so happy <laughs> to be with you guys right now. I'm so happy to be here. Um, we're, uh, you know, we haven't done Halal or Not for a while, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's time to bring it back. Yay. Yay. Do you guys want to play? I do, but I think everything is Halal except for Donald Trump and Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> so that my answers a... are easy. So we're going to play a game of Halal or Not. Um, if you don't remember that game, it's pretty simple. I just... Give the guests a word or phrase, and they have to tell us whether they think it's halal or not, and why. All right, uh, let's start with Nubiha. Aunties. Aunties are halal. Aunties are, you know, as I'm growing into an auntie myself, (laughs) I feel just more sympathy towards them. I mean, obviously, there are some evil aunties, and I hope I live to see the revenge that they should get. (laughs) That is my prayer. Amen. I think aunties are great. I love aunties. I think even the evil ones deserve a place in our culture. They're, they have a backstory. They like do. any villain, they, <laughs> they have an origin. They always and do. Something happened. There was some trauma. What turned you, auntie? When did you become evil? And, I, yeah, I want it. American shows just called aunties. Like, just stop <laughs> focusing on these young children. Yeah. Only the aunties matter right now. And every episode is a flashback to the thing that turned her. Exactly. Yeah. We can write <laughs> <Yeah>. this. <laughs> Let's begin it. Done. Okay. Uh, Bim, uh, Twitter mentions. Oh, haram. <laughs> Jesus, no, burn every mention. You, there is never a need to at anyone, ever, ever on Twitter. Fuck mentions. No, no, they're the worst thing. No, 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 no. God did not approve that. No, no. <laughs> I feel like I have gotten some really terrible ones, but I'm like a like sort of sadistic or masochistic, sorry, in the sense that like I just like to know how terrible people are, you know? No. Like I need the info. No, it hurts my spirit. It actually, it gives me like acid reflux. I can't. <laughs> My whole chest is on fire every time I log onto Twitter. I'm like, oh, what fuckery am I going to witness today? And without fail, Twitter delivers just on a gold platter of like just golden poo. I don't need it. Shout out to every nice person who has ever said a nice thing to me on the internet. God bless you all. May the Lord keep you. May your parents grow old gracefully and all the other good things. But, 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 but everybody else 
Man, they can just burn. Sorry, that was a very long-winded way of saying no. <laughs> I appreciate it. I mean, I think part of my thing is I'm just like, for some reason, I have too much faith in humanity. So I like to be reminded that there should I should have no faith. <laughs> it's, a, it's a learning it's tool. A, it's a check on myself. <laughs> okay, good. I can't remain an optimist when I log onto Twitter and then people remind me of their rampant idiocy. They can't hide it. Mm-hmm. They don't feel any shame. Mm-hmm. If you are stupid or rude or terrible, why not have a little bit of shame about it and hide it? Spoken like an auntie. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't hide it on the internet. How dare they? <laughs> exactly. Bisharam. <laughs> <laughs> It's the show's birthday, and like the person that I am, I celebrate how I do most things, which is overthinking things and being (laughs) self-critical. Most people use alcohol for that, but I don't have that option, so I just... It's enjoyable for me. Yeah, you know? so, I can tell. You're smiling right now. <laughs> getting better is always is always fun. You know what I mean? Oh, you're so wholesome. <laughs> oh, I just I just want to hug you. You're so good. Should we get up right now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're hugging right now. <laughs> I love this. They're Aww, actually hugging. Oh, you're such a sweetheart. Oh, I love it. I really do. <laughs> Anyhow, you were two people that, like I said, I admire very much, and I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on the past year and, like, you know, how America has changed, how the show has changed, sure. um, and how I can do this weird job that I have where I am trying to represent Muslim voices on this big platform as best as I can in a better way. Sound so, good, guys? It sounds such a small Such order. a small thing. <laughs> Just fix it all. It's all broken. Fix it all. So when we started the show, I feel like one thing that was missing in media was a safe space for Muslims to just talk and be themselves and not worry about what people thought. And that's what the show is planned to be. And then Donald Trump got elected and we realized like this nightmare of public increasing Islamophobia was not going to end anytime soon. Um, And I feel like being a Muslim in the public eye has shifted a little bit. And I'm like fascinated to know what those changes have been. Um, What are some of the things that you guys have perceived? I feel like there's been a lot of conversations that used to be cloistered, that used to be in someone's living room, that used to be like, you know, like, you know how some white people can be. You know how this works. Mm -hmm. That now people have openly everywhere on Twitter, on Facebook, on their shirts, (laughs) everywhere, and which I actually appreciate. Yeah. I used to have to filter myself. I didn't do it successfully, but with different <laughs> types of people in my life because you didn't know if they like got it or not, if they yeah. were down or not. Yeah. And now I think not I mean people are not all down obviously because this is America, but you're able to have this conversation publicly in a way that is the silver lining that I've tried to focus on amidst mm-hmm. all of the dumpster fire. That well, is everything else. Can we talk a little bit more about what the rationale was towards whiteness before? I feel like for brown Muslims, a lot of it was like, we have to explain to them who we are. We need to include them. Whiteness is not the enemy in a way, like, or Americanness. Mm-hmm. Like, we should be American just like everybody else. Yeah, I think there was a lot of, oh, if only they knew better. Like, if yes. we only pulled back their veil of ignorance, then it would all be <laughs> fine. And that's not true. I think it's that that may well be true for some mystical people somewhere, but I think it's a lot harder to argue that everyone who has all of these thoughts about Muslims could just easily be re-educated if they Mm -hmm. just had some chai or 
chicken thicka or like knew how to spell any other place in the entire world. Right. It's not that simple. And I think we're all waking up to the fact that this is a place with a lot of history and a lot of that history is ugly mm. and it's not going to go away with some like make nice potluck. Mm. And I think in addition to the history is the fact that narratives are still being constructed live mm-hmm, as we mm-hmm, live. Mm-hmm. So you can explain some history and somebody might be interested in hearing about that. But while that is happening, uh, real life Muslims in the real life world are living with narratives that are being cooked up in real time and having to kind of go backwards to talk about, well, originally for many Americans, you know, the first Muslims they encountered were actually black (laughs) and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. Like that's interesting. And it feels very much like part of a much, much larger narrative. And in many ways, that thing about trying to make people at ease I think has kind of fallen Mm -hmm. to the wayside not for everyone because I know that it's very much a generational thing which is not to say that's the only divide but I do think there is a generational thing in the way that for example sometimes when you know someone adopts something that you could argue is cultural appropriation and older people kind of go oh it's nice they're appreciating the culture and young people are kind of like nah fuck them they're stealing the culture and they're blah blah (laughs) blahing it and it's always kind of like oh oh you know there's always that and i think Mm -hmm. there was something about that with muslims also where it was kind of like if only we told them how we're normal and breathing you know oxygen and expel co2 and if only we showed them that we also you know like cooking and we like fun and we enjoy swimming and all these (laughs) if we prove our humanity maybe they'll believe us right and that thing i think has slowly not all the way but has slowly eroded where everyone's kind of like do you know what i'm here and i'm not going to sit down and be quiet about some of the shitty things that people do to dehumanize me and the people who kind of worship like me or who might have this identity i think for many people there has been like a finding of their voice Mm -hmm. um and that has been helpful but of course, we're not finding voices in isolation because other fuckers are finding their voices yeah, yeah. <laughs> as well. So it's uh, it's very much a push pull. So I think in that regard, the idea of not sitting quietly as a way to mitigate against you know stupid ideas that people have about Muslims has been a largely uh, productive and interesting development. Speaking about this like generational thing, mm. I think it's also fascinating to think about like the way that violence has also shaped uh, like what Muslim mm. communities do. I saw this headline just this morning that was like an, one of those community efforts of meet a Muslim where like people do a thing at a library or a you know church or whatever to mm. like meet their neighbors. And I was feeling the way we're feeling now, which mm. is like people will still hate us even if they know who we are. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But then I read the article and part of the reason they did it was because their children were, you Mm. know, being accused of whatever violent act was happening in the media. And it's like there have been children who have been killed this year, like Nabra Hussain. And she's a young girl who's killed by a stranger and you people are due fear for their life. And Mm -hmm. even if it's not an effective strategy, Mm. you have to feel like you're doing something. And I think, I don't even think it's a matter of about it being an effective strategy. I think many issues, like many problems, the ways to tackle the problem is often multi-pronged. And one way is to do that. But as long as that is being done alongside other things, I really have no quibble with trying to get people to understand. I think it's a worthwhile effort. If it changes one mind, that's great. If it helps to move people along a certain path, that's wonderful. I also think that there are some things that we don't need to negotiate. And I understand the need to kind of perform this. You know, there's a civil contract Mm -hmm. between groups, communities, and I think that's fine. I also do think that (laughs) after a certain point, you just kind of go, actually, do you know what? Fuck you. I'm just going to live because no one else is doing this much negotiation. Well, no, that's a lie. Other groups are. My point is 
specific groups are not required to. Mm. And somehow mm-hmm. Muslims still are. And then when you add in other isms, for example, here I sit, a black Muslim who is also British. <laughs> now, of course, my Britishness takes away some, some stuff because I have a fantastic passport that gets me in places. Nobody who's trying to be racist to me is going to be like, hang on, is she American or is she British? And what's this? Her parents are Nigerian? Interesting. No one's really taking the time right. to ask about that. You know, I'm a Muslim woman who doesn't wear a hijab. My experiences are inherently different to a hijabi. And these are things that I think, as you kind of peel back, like how much explaining do I have to do? You know, people have said to me that, you know, I I don't appear Muslim. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, what do you think a Muslim looks like? Mm -hmm. And why do you think that? And fuck you, I am a Muslim, actually. And then, you know, which is not maybe the most Muslim way to announce that I'm a Muslim. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just kind of like you need to just shut up. Just shut up and let me live. Let all of us just live. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's explanation is a fine as a strategy, not the solution. Mm. And that's the transition, right? Realizing that the cultural work that we have to do to change things is far more than sort of one-off get-togethers. I won't begrudge people who feel the need to do that as they're part of the cultural work, but mm-hmm. stepping back and realizing that there's much to be done has been this year and then figuring out what exactly that work is and who is part of it and how that happens to me is a set of questions we haven't answered and i don't i don't know how easy it is to answer those questions but i i kind of feel that that's the burden that i am trying to muddle through now like mm. how do we do this type of work at a scale where it right. really matters right. not just in your neighborhood or which is fine all well and that's well and good for people to do what they can but there is a scale necessary and i don't know how to do that labor yeah. so I feel like the other thing that interesting thing that's happened is because of like the Muslim ban and many of the legal battles that are happening, like Muslims have also become like this stand in for constitutional justice and mm-hmm. equality and like what Americanness, like what does what does it mean to stand up for the Constitution, you mm-hmm. know, uh, or for equality? And it, in a way, the identity has become politically fashionable as well for, mm-hmm. you know, non-Muslims to uh, glom onto as activists or lawyers or whatever. What do you make of that, Nabiha, as a lawyer? It's a little fraught for me because often the language that's used is one of presumed victimhood and then saviorness and yes. like... As a lawyer who is very good at saving her damn self, mm-hmm. I, it's complicated, but also it's, I guess, a better identity than like evil lurking in the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm like, oh, good. We have a new facet today. Could yeah. we have more? And I think, part, you know, part of this is like, how do you get people to be good allies, which is a longstanding question. You know, some people want to be allies by like wearing a hijab for a day. I have a lot of thoughts. <sighs> And you can't see my face, but what I, I it, for I the people out there, I just, like, if my eyes roll back in my head anymore, they'll be stuck there. And then I will look like Storm. And <laughs> that's a lot of bad things. Yeah, that's not bad. You say it's that like that's bad. bad. Um, I feel like I spend a lot of time trying to educate people on how to be allies because there's the people who are like, you're suffering really hard. Like, I'm there for you, which is like, great. But when it's like victim-me language, I bristle against it. I have a lot more people in my life who are like, how, how can I be good to you? Right? And they're asking a lot of questions. And the truth is that I enjoy a lot of privilege in my life. I don't know that I have the answers for everyone. And what that always comes back to is you're still viewing us all as a monolith. You're still saying, like, how do I help the Muslims as if we are one thing, as if you could just, like, say the right thing, tweet the right thing, wear the right shirt, show up on the right day, and this monolith would all be fine. And it's hard to come up against that. 
Mm. And that's I think that again highlights the the thing about the solutions being multifaceted. We talk about the Muslim community as though there are not several Muslim communities. Mm-hmm. And I think about my life as a, a non-hijabi Muslim in New York City or even back home in London is very different to a recent, you know, emigre from Somalia who does wear a hijab and perhaps has an accent that is not a London accent. There are so many ways to be Muslim that there are so many ways to quote unquote protect Muslims or to save Muslims. Mm-hmm. Even that, you know, this is the thing. I don't necessarily envy the would-be good allies as well because it must be confusing as hell for them yeah, also. Right, right. But I also think, uh, I don't know, <laughs> there are ways to kind of signal that you are there for somebody without it having the connotation of you swooping in to save me, Florence Nightingale style. And, you know, I say save me because I'm talking about myself, but I'm talking about all the other people who don't have the privileges that both Nabir and, and I have. And I think that's something to bear in mind as well, that who exactly are you thinking of being an ally to? Um, mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. useful is that? Because like Nabiha, I'm very good at saving myself because I have all these attendant privileges mm-hmm. that allow me to do that. I can fight for myself. I have a media platform. I can say some things. You know, not everything that I say is <laughs> taken as <laughs> gospel, which it should be. <laughs> 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 but I think but I think I have I have so much more power. One of the things I try to do is not necessarily think about myself when I'm talking about Muslim issues because in many ways my problems do not in any way match the problems of mm-hmm. you know that thing about you're only as strong as your weakest link and I think about the people who are you know in real dire straits because of their religion because of their faith and those people are the ones that I'm trying to kind of think about when I'm thinking about moving any kind of uh, action forward. It's kind of like, well, you know, how much of this is really touching me in a way that is tangibly, you know, discombobulating my life as compared to the people who it's really going to screw? I think, you know, like that's one good thing that I I love about working here is like we have a community of people who are on a similar page as far as these things go. Um, But it was also a challenge to think about like how to translate the show in a way where like it reflects those values that like mm-hmm. there is no Muslim identity and that we can't service everybody and in a way it's like there's some building some cohesion where there's not mm-hmm. always and I think it's like also fascinating like the desire that I, I'm falling into and like wanting to resist is that the idea of like being professionally Muslim mm-hmm. you know what I mean that's like a derisive mm-hmm. term mm-hmm. that people use yeah, like and professionally was, black oh is that when, a that's term a people thing. use yeah too? so you know it's kind of like oh you come oh the black commentator is here please come you step forward it's very difficult for you not to inhabit that role if that's not something you want to do or even I don't think there should be that job anyway but yeah. it kind of informally exists so I, I fully understand that one of the things I try not to do is start a sentence with as a Muslim yes absolutely <laughs> absolutely and yet I still do because the, the internet will force trap. you into that because you're it's difficult also I think and especially in a, in a culture that requires you to present your credentials um, as much of internet writing does require you to do, like you have to kind of fully disclose all your reasons for being here t- on this right. day to discuss this thing. And in doing so, I'm kind of like, no, I don't have to give you my CV, my personal, my my human CV in order to present something that is smart and good and fair. On the other hand, some days you're kind of like, do you know what? Shut the fuck up. I'm actually a Muslim. So why don't you just shut up and let an actual Muslim speak? And then there are other times when I'm kind of like, I am not the Muslim. You need to be talking about this particular thing because I'm not the Muslim that this shit affects. Right. It's very, you know, I, I, I see it's what It's important you mean. to say no oftentimes. Oh, like yes. People sure. have asked me to talk on things that I know nothing about just because I'm Muslim. And that's like part of the challenge that I'm, I've 
like grown into and I'm still figuring out. Yeah. It's ongoing, by the way. That, that just keeps going. The number of times you have to stop yourself and say, am I adding any value? Oh, I'm not. Oh, I'll just step the fuck away. <laughs> There's nothing for me to say. If I'm not convinced that I'm adding something, just skate backwards. Just moonwalks fresh out of that place. Um, okay, so my last question, I guess, is uh, uh, big sister folks that I admire, what's your <laughs> advice for me? What can I do next year? What? What? How can I be better? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the auntie in me is like, hmm, how do I answer this? I have a question for you, which yes. is a real auntie move. Yes. Like, Go no, ahead. I ask you questions. Um, yeah. You've gotten to do all these live shows. Yeah. Who comes up to you that you didn't expect? Yeah. And who emails you that yeah. you didn't expect? We get emails from a lot of different people. I mean, this is a simplification, but our audience um, are... A lot of young Muslim kids who feel heard and want to learn about different Muslim stories that they might not have otherwise heard. But also we get a lot of, I think, white listeners and non-Muslim listeners who um, are really learning everything and sort of like quietly following along. I mean, one of my favorite segments that you did was the Buna time. Oh, yeah, nice. Uh, that, the, that, the ceremony. Yeah. I thought that was wonderful. Can I you really, explain what that video is? For I mean, it, it? it was, it had um, a wonderful young lady called Salima. <laughs> uh, Who's that, I wonder? <laughs> <laughs> some some amazing model type. I don't know. She was just amazing. She's my wife. She, she basically uh, attended a coffee ceremony. Uh, at a cafe in in Brooklyn, and again, I just thought this is one thing. This is not necessarily explaining Ethiopianness or explaining Muslimness, but it's just a thing. This is just one facet of the many identities that many Muslims have, and this was just like a really nice exploration of one person's culture. And it just so happened that the person was brown and also a Muslim. And I thought, great, that's what I love to see. I think so often we get caught up in explaining ourselves, in trying to kind of humanize ourselves. And we just don't, for, for the most part, Muslims are not that concerned with showing white people or whoever mm-hmm. that they're human beings. They're just living. They're making coffee and they're drinking coffee, much like Nabiha right next to me. <laughs> um, they are going to work. They are raising their children. They're going on holiday. And I think you have done a marvelous job. And I know I'm saying this very much in big sister mode, but I am so proud of I you. I love it. I know. I am. I, I, Every time I see you, it's very difficult for me not to put my chin in my hands and go, look, look at him. He's doing so. He's doing so well. Look at him. Oh. <laughs> I get so happy. Thank you, Pam. It means like it, it says to me that something is at least something is happening right that you feel that way. Because I, I, I just didn't expect that, I guess. You know what I mean? I know like I feel like we have become closer friends throughout this past year when mm-hmm. you've been here and you've been on the show more. Mm-hmm. I've often relied on people here to help me know if we're doing uh, like the right thing with this because I'm always concerned about it. And yeah. you are always concerned about it. I am. Which You're is a very kind of the best. Boy. Yeah, exactly. It's the best part. You're so thoughtful with this. I don't really listen to that many podcasts because, frankly, I never have headphones and I always lose them. Same. And that's the only Same. reason. It's just my being a disaster. I always listen to this and I send it to everybody. And I always get responses from people who really? are like, oh my God, thank you for sending this to me. Yeah. Everyone always has something to say. You just touch all of these different people with what you've done and just in the next year you're going to do more of that. And yeah. honestly, it's so necessary now. It is. It's so necessary now to have the conversations we've been having in the shadows out in the open. And that's what you do mm. for anyone yeah. who has headphones with them <laughs> and can listen. <laughs> this is sounding increasingly like you've invited us in to just kind of be sycophants and that's not what this is. <laughs> 
This was unplanned. This was it unplanned. is spontaneous oh love. I actually respond very poorly to compliments. Well, well, you're gonna sit there and take I'll it. I'll sit here quietly with my with my hands in my head. Oh, it's it's very sweet. No, I I do think that. Yeah, like Nabiha said, I'm just I'm excited to see what you do in your second year because the first year has exceeded all my expectations and the bar was very high because I was like, if he fucks this up, I'm going to beat him. And I didn't have to beat you once. So I'm really, really pleased. I didn't have to be a wicked auntie. I was a lovely older sister instead. And I'm really, really proud of you. Thank you, guys. I wish I just had like gulab jamun to shove in your mouth. Just like give you sweets <laughs> and be like, good job, beta, good job. <laughs> I, I like how we've we've completed this big sister auntie thing with both of you putting on Nigerian or Pakistani accents at one point. Well, oh I think that's as good a time as any to end. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming on. Thank you Thanks for, for so everything you do. Celebrating my show birthday. Yay! Yay. Um, <laughs> Bim, where can people follow you and your work? You can find me at buzzfeed.com, the website. Do not at me on Twitter. And Nabiha, where can people find you and your work? No one follows me on Twitter. So if you went there, you would be alone. But I would appreciate it at (laughs) Nabiha Zayed. So, uh, because this is our birthday episode and you can ask for whatever you want on your birthday, I've always wanted Tracy Clayton from another round on See Something, Say Something. You did not have to wait until your birthday. I know, but I just... You years ago. I I really could have. (laughs) I really could have. But we're using this episode as a time to reflect on the show and you are somebody who really pioneered podcasting at BuzzFeed and being a host. And, you know, I've learned a lot from you, uh, watching you and talking to you. So I wanted to ask some stuff about self-care and how you manage being a host Mm -hmm. and, you know, all that. Yeah, let's do it. I feel like the time where I struggle the most with anxiety in my life Mm -hmm. is so strangely because it's like my job now is public speaking Hmm. like before I go to do a live show I am the worst to everyone around me really what does that mean you're the worst to everyone because like I feel like it's gonna go bad and I can't fix it like I like to I'm an editor more than I am like somebody Mm -hmm. I'm like a do it and then fix it later as opposed to a do it and it's done type thing yeah, or if I'm writing something, like, I edit it a lot before mm-hmm. I feel like it's ready. I'm, I would never, like, turn in something that's, like, I haven't, like, edited, like, a million times. Yeah. So, like, a live show is, like, the worst possible thing for me in yeah. some ways. See, I'm the opposite. I hate editing stuff. I like to write. I hate editing. I hate rereading. So I'd much prefer to just, like, do it, get it over with, and then, like, collapse later. So I you don't feel like off. that pit in your gut before you go on stage? Um, Oddly, I, I mean, I get nervous. So I think we've done enough live shows for us to figure out like what we need like in our physical spaces before a live show to like get us onto the stage with um, most of our faculties intact like Kevin for example likes quiet you know like she likes a quiet space in the green room if she can get a little nap in that's great Um, sounds such a good idea (laughs) right yeah I mean I could never Kevin's like I can sleep anywhere but like I can't sleep anywhere unfortunately but I on the other hand like distraction I like to be around people when our team is backstage like making the note cards I'm like can I cut something do you need some tape can I run and get something for somebody like Mm -hmm, it just mm -hmm. not being focused on my nerves helps me to like not feel them but like the five minutes before it's like time to get on stage, that's when my stomach drops. And then mm-hmm. that's when I start pacing and just like breathing. And and I don't know, it's kind of that thing of where like you get off stage and you kind of can't remember what you said. You can't remember how it goes. 
remembering that once I get on the stage, it's going to be over. It's going to feel like it's going to be over in like five seconds. Helps me to just be like, all right, just do it. Yeah. Do it and get it over with. Once I'm on stage, it's fine. Yeah. I think it's just like the three hours beforehand, I keep thinking about the ways it could go wrong mm-hmm. or like the ways that I would sound stupid. <laughs> All the mistakes that you can make. There's and I so externalize that. I like will say it out loud and it's like not easy for, you know, it's probably very difficult to be around mm-hmm. me. I, Have you found anything that like helps you in those moments? Like what makes you feel better? What helps not, you to relax? Not yet, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, that's why I like, I like doing them. I'm very satisfied when I'm done with them. Being mm-hmm. on stage is fun. Yeah. The beforehand. I just, all my insecurities come out, you mm-hmm. know. Is it like negative self-talk that you're having yes. or just like, yeah. Yeah, it's self-deprecation. It's like asking if we can fix things or cut things. Uh, you know, and this is not just with this. Like I have given talks at weddings and I feel the same way. But, mm. you know, like I have the same exact feeling of like this is going to be so embarrassing and it's going to be terrible. And yeah. what, why did they ask me to do this? Mm-hmm. And uh, it always ends up okay. Um, something that I tweet a lot is um, there's never been a day that you haven't survived so far. Mm-hmm. Because like that feeling that you're like, oh, another Monday, I hate my job, I just can't do it. I cannot physically do it. And it's like, you do it every day though. And just that reminder that like, what you've done once you can physically do again. I mean, in the beginning, it's like, it doesn't really help. But after like going through these talks with myself a few times, like it really does help to like, calm me down. And also reminding myself that, you know, part of this is just like the computer in my brain malfunctioning a little bit and I'm I'm imagining all of these horrible things that are going to happen like they're not really there. I I try to think of ways I can get out of things. <laughs> that's that's actually my way of doing it. I'm like, but can I just say can I just like can I just hide? Can I can if I tell I go them out the bathroom window and tell them I was robbed? <laughs> <laughs> Who can That'll I have call right now and give me an emergency? <laughs> Pull the fire alarm. But it's funny cuz I'm actually also I pathologically can't lie. Like, it's very difficult for me to lie. So, like, I wouldn't even be able to do that. So it's funny that, like, I hate it so much that I'm willing to consider lying beforehand. What do you mean that you pathologically cannot lie? Like, if a white lie is a little more useful for me, Mm -hmm. I'll usually still tell the truth. That is the most endearing thing I've ever heard anyone say in my life. No, it's not endearing. It's very annoying for the people in my <laughs> life. They hate it. Like <laughs> Salima, my wife, she hates it so much Why? because, you know, like when you're searching for an apartment, maybe it's uh, useful to, to, okay, to like, see, or I like see. job searching. Like, you <laughs> like, know, don't tell them what the real credit score is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's useful to fudge it. I'm like, well, you know, like just. The truth is better. And she's like, I hate you so much. We would have gotten so much better of a deal if you had just lied. Okay, I get it. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But also I feel like the other interesting thing is like the role of like being a person on Twitter as well. And Mm -hmm. you're like – you there's all this horrible stuff that you see every morning every day and the pressure to comment on it or not comment on it. I tend to like – avoid commenting on stuff, but I also don't unplug. Mm. And I wonder if that's, I feel like it works for me, but sometimes I feel like I should like be better at commenting about stuff and also be better about unplugging. Mm-hmm. Like how do you balance those things? Um, I had to learn, like it's it's not a thing that I like came into like media knowing is that you have, you can decide who you respond to and who you don't. And I think that like when you're on Twitter as much as I am, which is every minute of the day, you sort of just get used to hanging out on Twitter and like being on Twitter is like the thing that you do. So you get in the habit of responding to everything. And so there's just like the force of habit of being on Twitter that makes me want to do that. And then there's also like, you know, now that people see me as like a media personality, like people want to know what I think when it comes to like 
school shootings or like mm-hmm, another tragedy mm-hmm. or like um you know the murder of of unarmed black people or trans women like people want to know what i think mm-hmm. and in moments like that i really just take a step back and i evaluate whether or not i have the energy to do so you know because i never want to comment on something or insert myself into a conversation just because i feel like i should because on the one hand it's you know, my if my interest or energy isn't there, I'm not going to be eloquent. I'm not going to yeah, be an active, right. good participant in this conversation. Right. But also, like if I if I just can't do it, if I'm just like I'm fatigued, I'm tired of of seeing black men on my timeline, Dan. I'm just tired. I just I'm tired of of men sexually harassing women, and I, if I just can't do it. I just don't do it. And mm-hmm. if there are like moments where I'm okay with being transparent about that too, like sometimes right. people will be like, "Oh, you haven't said anything about X, Y, and Z all day." And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. Um, but it's a it's a self-preservation move. Like I just, right. I can't right now. And I also really like creating spaces on Twitter in times of tragedy for other people to like, just relax for a little bit. You know, look at these cute animals. Look at these cute babies mm-hmm. for five seconds. Yeah, like, you're, you're so good at that. Your feet are such a joy. <laughs> just babies and animals. Sometimes it's all you need is babies and animals. But I know that since I didn't know that I was allowed to like tune out or not respond to things, maybe other people don't know that it's okay to take a break. And so me and Heaven are, like, we begin um, our last live show in L.A. just being like, you know what, because this was right after, I think, Vegas happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we were just like, y'all, the world oh, yeah. is an wow. awful, awful, terrible place. We don't want to look like we're not thinking about it, like we don't care about it. But we also just want to create a space for you to be able to breathe a little bit. And I think that people appreciate and respect that when you provide that space for them. And also they can be understanding when they see you doing it as well. Because sometimes you just can't. Everybody deserves to just be like, you know, I just can't do it today. And my right. philosophy is always take a break, but come back later. You know, we still need you. You still got to be informed. You know, you still you can't turn a blind eye to everything. Right. But take a break for sure. Yeah. For my last question, I'm mm-hmm. going to ask you the same thing I asked Bim and Nabiho, which is like, you know, this is the... Big sister extravagance. <laughs> <laughs> Birthday extravagance. I love it. Uh, do you have any questions or advice for me and the show mm. after our one year? I do. Um, you know, as podcast hosts, it is both our job to inform and help people process and sort of be like a moderator through different types of discussions. But um, it's also like the listeners bond and connection with the host that keeps mm-hmm. them coming back. Absolutely. And I love that you can't tell a lie. You know, like... <laughs> I, I think that like learning those parts about like who you are and your personality just really opens you up and endears you to your listeners. And it's mm-hmm. just it's just delightful. So keep doing that. Listen to yourself in your body and uh, rest up and, you know, make sure you've got all the energy that you need to come into the studio and do a good job for the listeners that you care so much. But you have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of anybody else. Right. True. So Very do true. that. Thank you for joining us, Tracy. Wait, wait, I have more things to say. Oh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. I just thought you had to go. You're uh, so busy. And cool. No, I'm wearing house shoes. I have nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Thank you. And it's been a joy to watch the show go from concept to being in the studio to being on live shows. And it's just it just makes my heart so happy and so proud that you're here and that you're sharing yourself with us. Because, you know, when you have anxiety, it's not easy. And you're so good. And you're so brave. And I was just so happy. You. So proud. You helped me be confident in myself that I could Aww, do this by watching yay. you in Heaven's Example. So I wouldn't be here without you. Aww. Where can people find you in your work, Tracy? Oh, oh I was getting emotional. <laughs> yeah. um, sorry, sorry. You want to go slow get in the feels? Yeah, I mean, I'm a walking emotion. My period starts in three days, so. 
<laughs> Welcome everyone to my uterus. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Broken McPoverty. You can find my show on Twitter at Another Round. Cool. Okay. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. Happy birthday to the show. Happy <laughs> so this episode, like every other episode for this little beautiful baby we called See Something, Say Something, was produced by Eleanor Kagan, Meg Kramer, Megan Dietrich, Alex Laughlin, The Pod Squad, and the See Something, Say Something Brain Trust who have helped out. You can find us and send us, you know, birthday messages and flowers on Twitter, on Facebook, or you can subscribe to our newsletter. You can also find me on Twitter and on Tumblr at RadBrownDads. Our music is by the Caminas. You can find them at caminas.bandcamp.com. And if you want to send us a message, email us at something at buzzfeed.com. Happy birthday to see something, say something. I put up a photo of somebody in cosplay and someone replied, a stranger, never spoken before, just replied and said, you, spelt you, as just the letter U, looking, no G, sexy. And I just thought, well, why? So I blocked them Mm -hmm. and then I took my laptop and I put it directly inside a fire. (laughs) (laughs) Because... (laughs) I was having a great time at Comic-Con and I saw that and I was like, oh, man!